Uh, my name is Andy. Uh, welcome. I'm glad you've joined us. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and so we are going to be wrapping up a sermon series, a three-week series about vision and direction, Dear Church, Where We're Headed. That's the name of the series. We're going to close that series off uh, today. But before we do that, I've got just a couple of announcements for you. Um, immediately following this service is the congregational meeting. Um, yippee! <laughs> so... Uh, that's, that's right after this service. We do have child care provided for kids up to age five for the congregational meeting. If your kids are downstairs right now in our, pre, in our preschool, preschool class, uh, you'll need to go and get them and transfer them over to the nursery. If they're downstairs in the nursery, they're fine. They're, they can just stay there. Uh, so um, clear as mud, I hope. But that's today. It won't be a super long meeting, um, but we'll just give you some updates on where we're headed. Um, also, next Sunday is the Remove the High Places kickoff and tailgate party, although there's no real use streaming the football game because the Kansas City Chiefs lost. Uh, however... Um, for those of you who want a boring game, we might put it up on the screen. Um, no, I'm kidding. We'll have the game up on the screen. I'm a Chiefs fan, by the way. I grew up in Missouri, so I was disappointed uh, that they lost. However, uh, we are going to start our 63 days of fasting with a big feast together. We'll enjoy being together as the family of God, a good meal. We'll have the game playing if anybody wants to watch it, and uh, we'll just enjoy being together. Um, by the way, for that, remove the high places. If you haven't picked up your book yet, there are, uh, the books are out in the, at the Welcome Center in the lobby, so you can go pick yours up. And if you were looking at that and you, and you look at the program and you're like, wow, this is rather intense. I'm not sure if I can handle this. Feel free to tailor it to you. Um, and so, uh, and if some of the challenges in there look rather daunting, uh, try them for a couple of weeks and see how they go. Uh, and, and also... I don't anticipate that anybody will walk through this entire 63 days without ever failing at some point in it. Um, even my, we're, we're not going to be able to do this perfectly. And that, uh, that not being able to do it perfectly the whole time is part of the journey. It's understanding that we can't live by the letter of the law. We need a Savior who gives us grace in Christ. So we're going to set aside this time. We're going to make a commitment and do our best to uh, say no to self so that we can say yes to God. But if you, if you stumble at some point along the way, don't sweat it. Talk to God about it. Get up and start the next day as if it's a brand new day. Because it is. Um, so, so don't take it too seriously. Uh, you know, it's the spirit, not the, not the letter that counts. Uh, I think that's all the announcements I have. I'm going to invite Ella Athnos up to read our scripture passage for the morning. Let's welcome Ella. Oh, I don't see Ella. Okay, maybe she was in first service, uh, but not second, not second. Okay, that's okay. Our passage for the morning, <laughs> I'll pretend to be Ella. Uh, our passage for the morning is two different scriptures. It comes from Proverbs 27, 23, which says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And Acts 20, 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. So, no doubt... The fact that we have a congregational meeting today, the fact that uh, we're in a series about where we're headed as a church, and given those scriptures that I just read, you've probably figured out that today we're going to be talking about church leadership and structure. And I will confess 
that sounds rather boring. And you might be tempted to check out and say, okay, I, I wish I would have stayed home today and uh, I'll start scrolling through Facebook or I'll start thinking about lunch plans or whatever. I would encourage you not to check out um, church leadership and structure. Sounds like a boring talk, but it is relevant and applicable to all of us and it directly will apply to your life no matter where you are. You might say, well, I'm not an elder in the church. That's okay. That's okay. Let me show you two ways that this message is going to be specifically applicable to you. One is that anytime you study leadership in the Bible, what you learn is those principles apply in any context, in every context. Yes, in the Bible, they're written to the elders, the overseers of God's church, but they apply to parents parenting their children at home. They apply if you're in the workplace, if you're in a management or leadership position at work. They apply if you're a school teacher to your classroom. They apply if you're grandparents parenting your, grand, or, you know, grandparenting your grandchildren. They apply in almost every human context. Leadership in society, leadership in the workplace, leadership in the home, leadership at school. If you're on a sports team and you're in a leadership role, these principles will apply. They are universally applicable. So there is stuff for you to pick up even if you're not an elder or an overseer of God's church. Uh, second way that this message I think will apply is, is it involves belonging to the church. So I, I know that especially when people are newer to a, a church, when they're kind of checking things out, there's a period of time where they, they just want to attend, kind of hang out uh, on the edge and watch and see what kind of church is this? Does the pastor preach from the Bible? Um, is, it a, is it a good church? Is it the kind of church that I want to be a part of? And there's that period of time where people are just kind of hanging out and they're attending and they're, they're kicking the tires. Uh, and I understand that. My hope is that at some point, most of those people and most of you would want to move beyond the attending uh, phase and into the belonging phase. And you would say, okay, I've checked the church out. I've, I've hung out. I've watched. I've listened. I've heard a little bit about what their vision is. And, and I've listened to the teaching. And I know it's biblical or whatever. And, and this is a church that I want to belong to. I want this to be my church family. How do I do that? How do I get connected here? We're going to talk about that in this message. So uh, at some point, if we want to move beyond attending to belonging, this will tell you how to do that. There's two things that I want to talk about today. How we're going to shepherd the flock and how we're going to structure the flock. Uh, in, in the Bible, God's people, both Old Testament and New, New Testament, God's people are commonly referred to as a flock of sheep. And their spiritual leaders are commonly referred to as shepherds. It's a very common metaphor in scripture. So we're going to talk about how to shepherd the flock and how to structure the flock. First of all, we're going to shepherd the flock by restoring the watchmen. Every January, the uh, elders of Lakeview Church have an annual retreat. And we, we spend a few weeks uh, ahead of time in specific prayer asking God for direction. What is your call for the next season? Last January, uh, a year ago, one of the things that God spoke to us was, I want you to restore the watchmen. Now that was no surprise because uh, we had just gone, spent about six to eight months doing a biblical study of leadership in the Bible. 
What, how were New Testament churches governed? How were they led? What, did, what were elders? What were deacons? What, what does this look like in Scripture? And so it was no surprise that uh, uh, just a few months later at our annual retreat, the Lord said, all that stuff that you learned about leadership in the Bible, I want you to, to implement that at Lakeview. I want you to restore the watchmen, to return the elders from, uh, from being board members of a nonprofit organization to the spiritual leaders and shepherds of my flock. I want to restore that role, that biblical role of eldership at Lakeview. And so we're going to do that. That's what we're wanting to do uh, as we move forward. We're going to shepherd the flock by restoring the watchmen. And by the way, before we get too deep into this, uh, you're reading in the New Testament about church uh, leadership or whatever. Sometimes you'll read the word elder. Sometimes you'll read the word overseer. What's the difference? Well, not really much of any difference. Paul, when he was writing letters to the churches, he, he used the words interchangeably. Elder kind of refers a little bit more uh, to the character and integrity and dignity and respect that that person has in, in the church family. And overseer refers a little bit more to their responsibilities and their position. Really, that's that maybe an oversimplification, but elder and overseer, they pretty much mean the same thing in the New Testament. And so one of the things that we're uh, doing at Lakeview is we want to start using the word overseer more often. Because in our context, elder just means older. But overseer is more descriptive. It tells us a little bit more about what these people do. They are overseeing something. They are shepherding. So Acts 20.28 tells us their role. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I want to talk in this first part about spiritual leadership or shepherd leadership. Now look at that verse. Why does the Holy Spirit appoint overseers in his church? Anybody guess? What'd you say? To care for the church of God. So this is the first principle of biblical leadership. The only reason why God appoints leaders in his church or in, the, in, in your home or in your workplace or in society, the only reason why there are any leaders at all is to care for other people. That is the entire purpose of leadership in the church and in society and in our homes and in our workplaces. Leadership is not about how many people can I get following me? Leadership is not about, uh, can I stand on stage with a, a, a Britney Spears microphone on my face and lights shining and have my video on YouTube and look how important and special I am. By the way, Britney Spears was a singer when I was in high school. If anybody, um, I just dated myself, sorry. Uh, uh, I'm old. So anyway, you know, that's not what leadership is. Leadership's not about how many people are watching me and how many people are following me and how many people have retweeted my tweet and how many this and, and self-promotion. The entire reason and motivation for leadership in, in any context is to care for the needs of others. It is selfless. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole point. Shepherd leaders, see, a shepherd's goal is a healthy flock, not a higher status. You think about uh, in the workplace, 
Your goal should not be to climb that corporate ladder so that you could stand on the top and be somebody important. No, your goal as a leader in the workplace is to care for others. It's to have a healthy team. It's to have healthy coworkers. It's to do whatever you can to love and serve them well. That's the entire point. And we've somehow we've missed that in a lot of contexts of leadership in our society. Shepherd lead, shepherding leadership is to care for the needs of others. Now, how does that? What does that look like? Um, um, if you'll go to First Peter, chapter five, verses one through five, Peter gives us a, a preview or a glimpse of shepherding leadership. Here's what he says: So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then here's, what he, here's his instruction to them. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That picture of leadership is counterculture to the picture of leadership that is in a, a widely held and practiced in our world today. But this is what shepherding leadership looks like. Now, there's a lot in that passage. I don't have time to unpack it all. I just want to pull out three uh, uh, principles of shepherding leadership. These apply in every context, virtually in every human relationship. Uh, the first one is this, lead by example. He says, don't domineer over those uh, in your charge, but lead by example, right? Everybody has had the boss whose motto is, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, have everybody had that boss? How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have respected and liked that boss? Nobody, right? Nobody. We need to lead by examples. Good leaders don't ask the people that they're in charge of to do stuff that they're not willing to do themselves. And the reality is we are always leading by example whether we try to or not. Because the people around us are looking at us and they are following our example, whether it's a good example or whether it's a bad example, right? As a parent, if I am modeling a genuine faith for my kids at home, then they will be more likely to, to have their own faith as adults. If I am half-hearted in my commitment to the Lord, then I can't expect my, my kids to be any different. I'm leading by example whether I'm trying to or not. So, so what do we learn from that? Let's try our best to be like Jesus. Because the more that I am like Jesus, the more the people around me and the more the people that I am leading will become like Jesus, right? So we need to lead by example. We get what we are, so let's be like Jesus. Another uh, principle of shepherding leadership, we need to lead with humility. We, it, it, it's, it takes humility to follow, to follow another person's leadership takes humility because that means that I recognize that they have an authority that I don't have and I have to submit to that authority. As the lead pastor here, I submit to the authority of the overseers or the elders of Lakeview Church. 
right? So, so to follow somebody else's lead takes humility. You have to humble yourself and submit to their authority and leadership. But it also takes humility to be a good leader. Leadership is not about arrogantly prancing around in front of people so that you can get attention. You know, th- that might get you a lot of views on YouTube, but nobody really respects you. Nobody's really following you unless you lead with humility. Pride is putting yourself ahead of others. Humility is putting others ahead of yourself. It's not necessarily thinking, well, I'm not very smart and I'm not this, I'm humble. No, it's putting others ahead of yourself. That's what humility is. And that's what good leaders do. They don't consider their own needs first. They consider the needs of others ahead of their own needs. Look at 1 Peter 5.5. The last uh, little sentence in that, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Whether you're a follower or whether you're a leader, in, in whatever context, we should, we should live with humility. And if we don't, we actually make God our enemy. And he is actively working against those who are prideful. Now, uh, I don't know about you. Every time that it's been me against God, I've lost. That's just, I've experienced that enough times. No, you, you can't fight God. So um, we need to lead with humility. A third principle of shepherding leadership is this. We need to lead through sacrificial love. This is what is most like Jesus. Sacrificial love. Do you ever wonder why the storyline of the hero who's willing to sacrifice himself to stop the evil villain from destroying the world is such a popular storyline. It's like every single movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you've seen one of them, you've seen all of them because they're all the same story. They're just different versions. The hero or the, uh, the heroine comes up and she's, she or he's gonna save the world by suffering and sacrificing themselves or save whoever they love or whatever. It's that storyline of sacrificing yourself to save somebody else. Why is that such a moving storyline? Why is that so popular? Because it strikes a chord that resonates deep in our souls. It reminds us of the God who loves us, of Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us, who took on all of our sin, who took on all of our hate, who took on all of our violence, who took on all of our rebellion against God and nailed it to the cross so that we could be free. He suffered in my place and in your place. He died so that I could live and you could live. He sacrificed himself. He loved us so much that he gave his own life so that we could have his life. He took our sin and he gave us his uh, righteousness and his life in, in exchange. That's a powerful story, and that's the true story. And that's the reason why all the stories of heroes sacrificing themselves to save people resonate so deeply. It's hardwired into our existence as human beings to look for the God who gave himself to save us. Leading through sacrificial love is leading like Jesus. It's the greatest picture and reflection of Jesus. And the greatest leaders are the people who love those that they lead and are willing to sacrifice for them. There's an old leadership maxim that's very true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Anybody ever heard that? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you care about them, if you love them, suddenly they're going to listen 
and be interested in what you have to say. If they think that you're just in it for yourself, you're just using them to climb another rung up the ladder to promote your own status, they're not going to follow. And that's not biblical leadership anyway. We need to lead by example, we need to lead with humility, and we need to lead through sacrificial love. There's a lot more in that passage we could pull out, but I want to move on uh, and give you a story of how this looks in real life. Uh, One of my favorite people to have in the office is Dave Wilson. Anybody know Dave? Uh, Dave is one of the wisest people that I know, and he hangs out in the office, and he just shares, like, nuggets of wisdom all the time. And he's he's brilliant. And uh, anyway, Dave was telling me a story uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, When he was 19, so a couple years ago, um, he was 19. He was a Navy ROTC midshipman, and he was going through summer training. And the Marine platoon leader that was doing the summer training told them, if you are an officer in the Marines, your job is to take care of your Marines before you take care of yourself. So Marine platoon leaders will make sure that their Marines eat before they go through the mess line. They don't go to the front of the line and say, uh, hey, I'm in charge. You guys get behind me. I'm going to eat first. No, no, no. They don't eat until all of their soldiers have eaten. And once their Marines have eaten, then they go through the line. They take care of their needs ahead of their own. And Dave said, man, when I was 19, that was a powerful lesson of leadership. And then later in his life, he got saved. And he was reading Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone's going to be first the leader, he must be last of all and servant of all. When God appoints you to a position of leadership, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your workplace or your school or on your athlete's team or whatever, when God appoints you to a a position of leadership, it is a position of servantship. That's what it is. It's not a position of status. It's not a position of superiority. It's not a position of I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you or blah, blah, blah. No, it's a position of servanthood. That's what leadership in the Bible is. Whoever would be first must be last of all and servant of all because the shepherd's goal is a healthy flock, not a higher status. Now at Lakeview Church, we believe that God has called us to restore the watchman, to return the role of elder to its biblical role of shepherd of the flock, of overseer. God is calling us to restore eldership to overseers, from managing the 501 nonprofit organization to uh, caring for the needs of the church, like Acts 20.28 says. You might say, uh, well, that's interesting. How are we going to manage the 501c3 nonprofit? If the elders aren't going to do that anymore, because in most churches, elders aren't really uh, in this shepherding role. In most churches, elders are the board members. And in fact, in in our own constitution, you read the board of elders, the elder board this, the elder board that, and here's the board's responsibilities. In most churches, elders are the board members. But if we're saying, no, elders aren't the board members anymore, elders are the shepherds of the flock, this biblical role of overseer, how are we going to manage the 501c3? How are we going to approve the budget? How are we going to do staffing policy and blah, blah, blah? Well, uh, if you really want to know that stuff, stick around for the congregational meeting (laughs) because we're going to talk about that. Um, But 
We believe that God is calling us to restore elders, to restore our overseers to their biblical role as shepherds of the flock. So that's how we're going to shepherd the flock. We're going to restore the watchmen. Second thing I want to talk about is how are we going to structure the flock, and we're going to structure the flock into gospel communities. Proverbs 27, 23, uh, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. How do you do that in a congregation the size of Lakeview? There are a few hundred people that belong to this church. We have two full-time pastors. So how do two full-time pastors know well the condition of uh, three to 400 people and give them adequate attention before the Lord in prayer? How do we do that in a church this size? Two years ago, uh, almost exactly, COVID swept through the world and shut everything down. And uh, all of our in-person gatherings, our worship services, our Bible studies, our, our youth ministry, everything was closed at, down for 17 weeks. And the, in that, during that 17-week period, we said, well, uh, how are we going to shepherd and care for people during this time when we can't gather in person? And we said, well, let's call them. We all have phones. So we pulled up our database. You know what we found? There were over 1,400 people in our database. And we said, well, wow, prior to COVID, our average weekly attendance had only just been starting to hit 320, which was already a lot. We have over 1,400 people in our database. Where are these people? Who are these people? We started asking around. A lot of people was like, I don't know who that person is. I've been at Lakeview for 35 years. I've never seen that person. I don't even know that name, blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, who are all these people? So we said, uh, okay, well, let's divvy out. Let's divide up this list among the staff and we'll call them. And the staff spent hours and hours and hours calling our way through all 1,400 of those names. And I, I could tell you, probably 70 to 80% of the people I called never answered their phone and never called me back. Nothing. And a lot of the people that I called that did answer their phone, I'd say, hi, this is Pastor Andy from Lakeview Church. They'd say, who are you? I haven't gone to Lakeview in eight years. I'm living in Virginia now, you know, or, or whatever. Well, they're still in our database. And, and what we learned, what we learned from that is that it doesn't matter if we have 320 people here on a Sunday morning. If we're not loving them well, if we can't know them, if we can't do this Know well the condition of them. Give them adequate attention. Care for their needs. Pray for them. It doesn't matter if they're here. I take this call as your pastor very seriously. I want to rejoice with you when you rejoice and celebrate with you when you celebrate and weep with you when you weep. I want to know your, your struggles and your challenges so I can pray for those things. I want to know your victories so I can thank God for those things. I want to know how you're doing in life, and I can't. We learned from COVID that we have to do this together as a team. If we're going to shepherd the church well, it can't just be the job of the two full-time pastors on staff because we can't know everybody well. It's impossible. So we've got to do this together as a team. It has to be a team effort. And the second thing that we learned from that is that we have to be set up to care for one another because when COVID shut the world down, we weren't prepared. We had 1,400 people in our database, most of whom we didn't know, and no way of knowing who's connected to who, who's where, are they, what are their needs, how can we pray for them. We weren't set up. We weren't ready 
to shepherd one another well, to care for one another well. So we learned that we have to do this together as a team and we have to be set up for it. And that's where the idea for gospel communities came from. It came from uh, that problem which presented a need and then we looked at the way the Apostle Paul planted churches in the New Testament. When Paul uh, would, would go into a new place like the island of Crete, Paul went there with Titus, maybe Timothy, Silas, maybe some other people, Luke or, or whoever, and he would go into these, to this place like the island of Crete and he would begin to go from village to village and town to town and he would preach the gospel and he would start churches. And what we know is that in that in the early New Testament era, those churches were not like this. They didn't have a big commercial building. They didn't have room to sit 300 or plus people. They didn't, have, they didn't gather all in one big place. No, when Paul would go in, uh, he would plant a little church here and 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 they would meet in different people's homes. Most of these smaller house churches were about 15 to 40 depending on the size of the house and the yard and all that kind of thing. And so Paul would go in and he, and he would plant all these little churches, but all these little churches were really one big church. When you, when you read the letter to the church in Ephesus or the letter to the church in Corinth or the letter to the church in Rome, that's all one big congregation, but they didn't meet all in one big place. They had, you know, the church in Phoebe's house and the church in Chloe's house and the church in Priscilla and Aquila's house and, and the church in this home. And so we said, if that's what worked for Paul, why don't we do the same thing? Paul told uh, Titus after he uh, had gone to, to Crete and then Paul had left and he, and he wrote a letter to Titus, Titus 1.5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That seems like a good plan to us. Why don't we take our big flock of Lakeview Church with several hundred people and why don't we organize them into smaller groupings of about five to 10 households each, maybe 20 to 40 people depending on the size uh, and, and why don't we have an overseer over each each of those smaller flocks. And we'll call those smaller flocks gospel communities. And then the, the responsibility of the elders or the overseers is to care for and know well the condition of their gospel community. Then when we get together at overseer meetings, we can say, how are your people doing? How are your people doing? Oh, we have this prayer need. Let's pray for that. That's more of the biblical role. And in that context... We can know one another. We'll be set up to shepherd and care for one another. We can do it together as a team. Because if I'm sitting in this room this morning with about 160 other people, I can't really know all of you well. I can't really connect with all of you this morning. I can't really shepherd all of you well. But if I'm in a backyard with 15 to 20 or 25 other people, then I have room for deeper conversation and better prayer. And I know you and I'm connected to you. This is how we connect. If you say, uh, how can I get connected? How can I move from attending to belonging at Lakeview Church? This is the way to do it. We have uh, three places where we can connect. Uh, and I, I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. How to get connected at Lakeview. Three relational spaces, right? We have our gathered worship. That's what we're doing right now. You can think of this service as the full extended family reunion. Your aunts, your uncles, your great aunts, your grandparents, your cousins, first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, everybody who's related to you is all together in one big place. That's the Sunday morning worship service. We have gospel communities 
which will be these smaller groupings of five to ten households. You can think of those like uh, a holiday family gathering. At Christmas time, it's my family, my sister's family, my brother's family, and my parents. It's not all of our cousins and all of our aunts and all of our extended and all that. No, but it's a smaller family, but it's still a family gathering. That's like our gospel communities. And then you can think of the close friendship, the growth groups that we're kicking off next week with Remove the High Places. You can think of those like your immediate family. Life on life, spiritual formation. And we have these places where you can get connected. Our goal is to have gospel communities functioning and running and meeting regularly by September. You say, that's a long ways away. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do to figure out uh, how we're going to get people into them and what, they're, what are they going to look like and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But our goal is to have them up and running by September. And you might say, what is a gospel community? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Is it, is it 15 people sitting in my living room watching a, a Right Now Media video study? Is that what Right Now, uh, or is that what a gospel community is? Not exactly. Uh, we have been experimenting over the last couple of years with different formats of gospel community. And you, you've heard us use this language. Uh, right after we started back to in-person worship services after COVID shutdown, um, we experimented with something that we called gospel community worship. And if, if you were here during that period, uh, every other Sunday, we would all meet downstairs in different rooms, and we would have worship services in smaller gatherings downstairs. We tried that for a little while. And then we went through a season where we tried gospel community prayer groups, where we would end our, our service upstairs early, about 15 minutes early or so, and we would all break out into smaller rooms around the church for prayer for one another. We tried that for a little while. We've tried different formats. We've had, most recently, Gospel Community Sunday Nights, uh, where we watch an episode of The Chosen and sometimes have a meal together. Um, by the way, we're, the, the Chosen's not tonight um, because we have the congregational meeting, but we'll, we'll pick that back up next month on the first Sunday of the month. But uh, we've tried all these different formats. We've experimented with different things. But the thing that, uh, that most hits the mark for what a gospel community is like. So if you say, what is it that it's like? The thing that is closest to the mark it was the backyard barbecues that we did uh, this past summer. We had 15 to 20 or, or 30 people or so in somebody's backyard having a meal together. We had 20 or 30 people in another backyard. We had 20 or 30 people in another backyard, different backyards, and we got together and we enjoyed a meal and we just spent time together. And at those backyard barbecues, I had all kinds of experiences that I don't normally get to have. So I got to sit down with people and have extended conversations that, with people that I rarely get to speak with more than a couple of minutes because there's a lot of people on a Sunday morning. But I got to hear their story. I got to hear their background. I got to hear uh, their prayer requests. I got to pray with people that I rarely get to pray with. There's just too many people on a Sunday morning for me to specifically pray with everybody, but I got to sit down across the table and pray with people that I rarely get to do that with. At one backyard barbecue, they set up a, a volleyball net, and uh, I got to play backyard volleyball with people that I never play with. Like in, in my interactions with the church, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's me, your pastor, giving you spiritual counsel and guidance or teaching and opening scripture and answering your questions. And it's all business, 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 right? But I got to play with people, volleyball, and I'm terrible at volleyball, but I don't care because it was fun. 
right? And, and you've heard the saying, uh, marriages that pray together stay together. Well, I think churches that play together pray together. I don't know. That, um, <clears throat> it was enjoyable. A- at one backyard barbecue, I met somebody who wasn't part of our church. They were a neighbor. They weren't even a believer. They were a neighbor that somebody else had invited to the backyard barbecue. And the person who invited them talked to me later and said, well, I wasn't sure if my neighbor would come to a church service, but I figured they'd come to a cookout. And I thought, that is incredible. That's amazing. That's exactly what we want to see. This was the body of Christ in action. And it was beautiful. And that's what we want to to see with these gospel communities. We want them to meet once or twice a month so that we can be connected, so that we can know others and be known by others, so that we can love others and be loved by others, so that we can serve others and be served by others. We can't do that in a big room with 200 people, but we can do that in a backyard with 20. And that's what gospel communities are about. Um, So... Our goal is to have gospel communities ready to start meeting regularly by September. Uh, This is where we're headed as a church. We're going to restructure our congregation. We're going to redefine the the role of elder or overseer to be the shepherd of a gospel community. And then we want everybody to get into a gospel community so that we can love and serve and encourage one another and bear our burdens together and walk through life together as we follow Christ together. Uh, So let me pray. And then we'll dismiss our service. And remember, uh, if your kids are downstairs in the pre-K class, go get them and transfer them over to the nursery uh, if, you want, if you're staying for the congregational meeting. Um, and yeah, let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather as your family. The only reason this congregation, this flock even exists is because you, Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, the, uh, the good shepherd and the overseer of our souls, you sacrificed yourself for us. You brought us out of death into life. You caused us to be born again through your death on the cross, through your Holy Spirit in us. You caused us to be born again into your family. And now we're here as your family And we want to know and love and serve and be known and be loved and be served. We want to be your family the way you've described it in your book. And so, Lord, we we just give ourselves to you. We would ask that as we move forward with the vision that you've called us on, that you would give wisdom. I know that we'll need to tweak and adjust along the way. And I pray that we would have the grace and the wisdom and the freedom to do that as we figure out how to follow Jesus together for the glory of God and the common good. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.